Welcome to the Activate CX podcast, where we demystify and clarify the direction of CX. My name is Frank Rogers. I'm your host, and I help brands grow with better CX, AI, and self-service. And today, our special guest is Mark Hamill, the CEO of Arcat Global. He's dropping in to talk culture, recognition, and all things CX. Let's go. You know, Mark, probably the biggest game changer that we see out there in the world is AI. It really has captivated everybody's attention. And it's probably the the largest single event, although it is certainly a process, but just in terms of its awareness to people and people's consciousness around what it could mean to them. Mm-hmm. We haven't really seen this since the advent of the internet. And maybe maybe even it goes back to, is this as big as fire? And a lot of people are looking at this truly like it's almost that dystopian kind of thing. Nothing is ever going to be the same again. And so like the old adage, how do you eat an elephant? You do it one bite at a time. The bite that we have is the use case. How do we look at this from a utility perspective? Do you think that that the use case is kind of the rally point? It definitely captures people's imagination. I would say if you have something that makes sense to enough people, then they'll probably move towards that. And, but I think that if you'd asked me that question a month ago, I would have said, yes, we we had an event two weeks ago here in Dubai. And it was quite interesting the way that the questions were asked. A lot of them were about what skills did my team need to have internally before trying these, implementing anything or even giving it a go with any use case. Mm. And who do I communicate to within the company? Like who, who should lead this? You know, the kind of questions you're asking me about the CX leader, they're at who's, who's in charge of, of AI implementation. And again, it, it kind of depends. Is it the CIO, CTO, is it the CEO who, who grants that? But, and then we had a webinar a few months ago and that was talking about centers of excellence and centers of experimentation within, within organizations to get these things ruled out. So I still think that the use case is the, the way to look at it and um, something where you can get a, a quick win. Uh, makes sense and can roll on to bigger things. I think that's from what I've seen in companies, that's that's what's bred more success for AI implementations, but um, it remains to be seen. I don't think there's enough use cases out there. And uh, yeah, certainly there, there sh- should be more than there were this time last year. We started having events and um, it was all about ChatGPT, nothing else. And I think we've evolved quite a lot in the last year. It seems to me the feedback that you got was almost a step back from the utility of it Mm -hmm. to more get their head around how they bring that into the organization and how that becomes implemented. And I like the thought process there in terms of more of an R and D and experimentation, because if you really look at a, a product for sake of argument, say a software product, what got you to building that software product and rolling it out was a high level of innovation and experimentation and mm-hmm. listening to the customers and you hardened it to a product so that people could rely on it. People could say, I will use this product and it will do what I expect it to do all the time. Mm-hmm. And then there's still this drive inside the business to innovate at that point in time inside your organization, you go, hold on a second, let's not experiment on our existing customers. <laughs> yeah. Let's create R and D they're over here. They're in the lab. We're not going to take anything from that and drop it in to the product. We're going to have a really smart release schedule that's based upon customer feedback, 
but nothing that's experimentation. It's got to go through another process to finally make it to the product. It sounds like that there's a little bit more of a think tank, skunk works, R&D, where you can kind of play with it and experiment and test it, but but don't put your organization at peril. Absolutely. And there's there's been examples that I've seen where, especially when it comes to ChatGPT, they felt the pressure, they had to roll it out and it yes. didn't have the the bumpers on the, the bowling lane. Um, and it just said, no. there's even ones where I've seen that it praise a competitor when they've rolled it out on their platform. And someone has said, what's the best in this? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to name the name of the, even yeah. the industry, but yeah, it's like a dumb and dumber moment. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's one lucky guy. Well, I get it. Yeah. That's so funny. You know, we look at adoption <clears throat> we look at the rate of adoption and there's this great United States Marines motto that says, you know, um, slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Mm -hmm. I really like that because there is a moment there where you say, okay, we need to inspect this and we need to make sure that we plan that we have the right readiness. Then we need to roll it out there in a way that we're not creating additional problems for ourselves that we may not mm -hmm. be able to counteract. So I think that that applies to the world of AI exceedingly well. Who knows? Maybe the Marines might become the AI champions uh, in the world <laughs> just because they've embodied that spirit. But it, it does take a, a discipline. What do you think is an impediment inside of organizations right now that leads or stops people from adopting AI? Well, some of the uh, things we've discussed of so fear is definitely one of them, depending on the organization and um, skills that not the, not the skills there, I would say time as well. Time kills all deals. And I think it's the case with AI as well. I really do. I think there's, there's definitely when it comes to it departments, not all the time, but there's generally in, in different certain parts of the world. And this was brought up in the, in the, the event two weeks ago, not necessarily the business understanding. They're very, very exceptional when it comes to technical aspects, but communicating what's required from a technical perspective in order to impact the business is not necessarily there. So I would suggest that some sort of bridge between the people that are investing in AI within, within the company and the IT departments, I think that's something that mm -hmm. is a skill set that's lacking. And I think there's, yeah, there's just a, a lot of, a lot of time is, is wasted as a result of that. I think there's the three things I've seen that seems to be quite common when people are talking about the challenges of, of rolling these out. Uh, internally, so fear, meaning people will ultimately put up roadblocks, and um, yeah, depending on where they are in the organization, but that's yeah, that's the one that comes up most often, I would say. Yeah, that is interesting. You're right. I think the the experience nugget, which is customer experience, employee experience, those topics that relate at least to technology and process, if you're thinking about it correctly, and, mm -hmm. and then how the organization is organized behind it to execute on it is definitely not within the the skill sets or even the charter of the CIO. The CIO is security, infrastructure, you mm -hmm. know, you know, kind of your baseline systems of operations and and the experience side of it is owned somewhere else inside the organization, maybe by the CMO. Mm -hmm. And maybe the technology budgets are bifurcated as well. I think that that is uh, definitely a, a pull 
and push. I don't know if you would call it friction, but there is some torsional angst. Uh, yeah. I think I may have just created a new organizational <laughs> word. Torsional angst that occurs. You get that on the t-shirt. It's there and it's real and it creates a barrier to the organization moving forward. And so that is something that has yet to be solved. And culture is the whole thing on top of it. And you have to have a business that can even lay down the sword within itself, right? Between departments and say, wait, hold on a second. Who are we fighting here? We've got a war out here that we need to fight. And we're fighting one internally at the moment. And that's maybe 80% of my subconscious of when I get up and I get into the gate each day to do my job. How do I overcome these internal struggles? Breaking those things down is very dynamic and challenging. This is why I respect so much what you do, Mark, and where you're focused, because I do believe it is an Achilles heel of, of CX and adaptation inside of businesses. And unless you're dealing with that, you don't have much of a chance to win anywhere else. And in fact, when I go back to those initial days that I started with Deloitte and doing the change management and everything else, it was the conclusion that I came to is that I think we can overcome these four contractual issues. And I think we can overcome some of these financial bumpers. And I think we can do some things over here, but my God, unless we kill how the organization functions right now. Yeah. I don't think we'll ever get to those places. And so there's on one hand, this doing things deftly and smoothly. There are some moments where there is radical change that needs to occur. Yeah. Um, and that is a hard thing. So it's mm -hmm. all change management. Things are happening really fast. And I would meet with people inside the organization and they would tell me what they think should be done, what they think they could do. And I would listen to this and I could also hear inside of them like, the apprehension, the fear of where all this was going. It just felt like yeah. a collision. And so I would ask them, well, how much would it cost to do these kind of things that you're wanting to do? They'd give me a number. And I would think about this calamity and this small amount of money that they're wanting to, to use. And I would say, well, I'm going to go to AP right now and I'm going to open up a PO for you. And how does that sound? And they would just look Passion. And I would say, you feel confident in this, right? You can go do this. Like, yeah, I, I can do this. And so I started setting all these little intentional fires inside the business that caused yeah. people to stop looking at the iceberg that we were heading at, you know, Mach 2. But chances are all these little incremental changes changed the culture, the energy, the fire inside of people to affect change. And it it actually did make a difference while we were working on some of these other things that were really huge. I was trying to take care of that while other people were losing their minds and going bonkers and doing crazy things. I would have, you know, two X the trouble that I had. So yeah. the, I, I think whenever we get in and we're talking to clients around affecting change, removing the guesswork from their CX and building a plan. There is some of this skill sets that I bring forward to talk with people inside the business to empower them because yeah. I feel empowerment is just, it just changes how you start the day. It just changes Absolutely. how you see the world. Then yeah. it changes how you speak to other people. You don't meet at the water cooler or even the virtual one anymore and go, Hey, this is all fakakta. You, yeah. you, you say, Hey, this is what I'm doing. And you say something positive. There is a cumulative effect of that, that I think makes a difference. Absolutely. It's one of the 
the main reasons why people become disengaged or un even unhappy in their personal life. If you don't feel in control, mm -hmm. if you don't feel, yeah, if you don't feel in control of your destiny, if you don't feel in control of your, your day, then yes. yeah, you're not going to feel very good. So <laughs> I yeah. think empowerment is absolutely very, very important. And yeah, the organizations that, that don't do that well, like the frontline service that you get is usually pretty hit and miss i would say you get one you get people who are just really happy people who are willing to do a good job no matter what but then other people just do the very bare minimum and i think that's a lack of empowerment leads to bare minimum and yeah yeah i can i can imagine that was successful what you've suggested as much as it must have scared the hell out of people it must it have <laughs> made, made a big impact it was kind of fun as well. So I want to talk about um, something that I know that is uh, really a big part of, of what you're working on. It's also kind of, for lack of a better word, near and dear to your heart because you put a lot into it. But I want to start it with a little bit of humor. And, and I love, you know, Monty Python and John Cleese. And, you know, he did a tour one time in the United States where he was calling out of the uh, craziness that goes on in our world. And he said that in the United States, we have a thing called the World Series, but ironically, we didn't invite anybody else from the rest of the world. <laughs> and you actually have something called the AI World Series Awards, right? It's a program yeah. that you've put together. And first and foremost, I want to ask you, did you invite the world to participate in this or did you did you close off admission? <laughs> I think it might be a good idea. It might be a good idea, right? But uh, no, we, we did invite the world. And uh, yeah, I suppose just going back to the start of, of where where I've come from, what we've been focusing on, as well as the, the change programs that we've worked on, but awards is a big part of it. And actual awards programs, not just recognition. So we've run a, many, many different awards programs over the years, but primarily core focus is customer experience. So as an organization, we have the largest video case study cache of for customer experience. Mm. We've built that up over the years. So we have a huge number of case studies in that respect from different parts of the world. Mm. And the way that CX was going, we thought that there was definitely a need for case studies of how businesses have actually used AI to be out there and, and public knowledge and for those companies to get recognition for what they're doing. Yeah. So we, we launched the AI World Series and this is going to be our first event. They're going to be a joint event with the Customer Centricity World Series year one. But yeah, we've got we've got entries from all over the world and they're from from industry side, they're from software technology company side and, and also even from, from governments as well. So it's a real blend and judges from all over the world as well participating. So we're really excited for it and hopefully there's some really good bits of content we can share after after the event happens in May. So a lot of storytelling and competition. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it really is a story. We actually tell them you're not entering submission, you're you're entering your story. It's a story-based entry form is what we call it. So they have to talk about the business context and, context and rationale, why they decided to do it, who was involved in the process, how did you do it, and then the results ultimately. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's really not, you know, typical awards where a company might just say, here's how great we are. We have this many employees, X, Y, Z. It's very much narrowing in on a particular story. Mm -hmm. And this kind of creates a, for lack of a better word, a store of knowledge and maybe leading to education. Do you think that education is a critical part of this program? Definitely. And, and we will have some leaders in this space that are that are offering their 
their thoughts on it. Uh, so we'll have a conference as part of this event. Mm-hmm. But down the line, I think that there's we're keen to collaborate with with people that have, have got excellent content in, in terms of e-learning or even um, blended learning they can offer uh, to our, our customers. Um, so that's something we're keen to explore. So any companies that you can think of that offer good advice, training programs in, in, in AI, definitely keen to, to sync up with them. Okay, excellent. So what do you think maybe is if in this whole world of AI and and all the chatter, all the misnomer, all the really dialed in discussion. What is the biggest BS talk track that you hear being promulgated out there globally? I, th- I think it's definitely that it's going to take all our jobs. I think that is the thing. I think that the market will evolve to and adapt to mm-hmm. provide for enough jobs for people. I think that that's probably the one where I, I see it as huge opportunities and mm-hmm. empowering more people. As you t- talked about, I think that's what it should be done. But obviously, mm-hmm. the, if it, it can be used for work, you know, bad things, let's say as well. And mm-hmm. but I think that that's the thing that the fear aspect of it. But yeah, and what maybe propagates that fear is the idea that it's just there to take pe- humans away from the job. So I think mm-hmm. those two things that they kind of fuel one another. I would say those. That's the biggest one. And maybe that's a bit obvious, but that's that. There's also ones that more on the customer experience side, the ones I've experienced where they say, oh, it's, it's not, it won't work in certain languages or these sorts of things. But, mm. you know, that that's something that uh, you know, very, very narrow to the, the conversational AI aspect that I've been working with. That makes sense. I think that the displacement part is true, Mark. I think it's, but displacement's going to create replacement, not necessarily that they're replaced, but they're replaced into other opportunities. Absolutely. And I mean, listen, life is a struggle. This is going to present a struggle. It's going to be a lot of energy. There's going to be winners in it. There's going to be losers in it, right? You're going to have blockbusters versus Netflix. You're going to have people that drop out and people that adapt and move forward. But in this displacement is just going to be just shocking levels of opportunity, probably on a level that we've never, ever seen before. And I think that may sound like Pollyannish, so to speak. That's kind of a terminology we have here. Maybe a little pie in the sky and maybe trying to be overly positive. There is going to be this outcome, which is people will be displaced. It's not going to happen in one week or 12 months, but it's going to happen over the next five years in a way that is going to be palpable. Um, We already see it. You know, people that are copywriters, journalists, all these types of jobs are are going away. We look at mainstream media, it's it's collapsing. It's being replaced by streaming services. Well, people are coming out of these businesses and going into the other ones. They're jumping on a different ship and changing what they're doing. They have a different job, but they are still in the game. I think that there has to be a point inside of a business and in part of our culture as well that recognizes this is not going to be easy. It's going to be a struggle, but the gears are in motion. I don't know how you would stop this. I, I don't think you can stop it because the commercial viability viability of it is just huge, right? So, but yeah, I think your way of saying the repl- you know displacement rather than replacement is yeah nail on the head. To be honest, that's that's really what it's like. The thing that always rings for me is when my grandfather used to tell me, or they used to have typing pools. And that's what the hell when I was a kid. What the hell is a typing pool? Like, oh yeah. They, <laughs> 
yeah, people, usually women, be in a room and they type on a typewriter and then send it over. It's like, right, that actually happened. And you know, all the, you know, this is an example. The word processor negated all their jobs overnight. And I think it's just a lot more widespread and a lot more industries and, and roles will be affected. But it is like the typing pool analogy. It's like something that's, the ideas should be more meaningful work. They should find, people should find things that are more meaningful for them or reduce the tasks that everyone does and the, the mundane, that's what it's there for. I think you just named this episode. That actually happened. <laughs> well, like I'm 36 and I don't remember typing pills. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. Well, awesome. Mark, thanks for being on the show today. Lots of great information and insights into culture, recognition, communications, treating people the right way, all the things that are kind of the backbone of getting CX moving forward. Really appreciative of your contribution. Brilliant. No, thank you so much, Frank, and uh, I really appreciate it. I'm, I'm looking forward to watching this back as well. Yeah, indeed. All right. So, and there you have it. Culture, recognition, rewards, the needs to communicate, all part and parcel of smart CX. CX is a big picture word, guys. It's It actually incorporates employee experience, technology, process, and culture. It's expansive. And at Arroyo 360, we help you remove the guesswork from CX and AI, charting a course of, well, let's just say certainty in a rapidly changing world. Folks, if you like this podcast, please like and subscribe down below. We would appreciate that. And we look forward to seeing you on our next podcast. And, and remember, if you want to be successful, let's go get it.